Master Plumbers Radio, bringing you all the stuff you won't learn in trade school. G'day and welcome to another episode of Master Plumbers Radio. Today I'm joined by Shane Lacombre, Chief Executive at Plumbing Industry Climate Action Centre or PICAC and Chair of the World Plumbing Council. So Shane, thanks for joining us on the show today. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's uh, great to be here, Daniel. Thanks for the invitation. Really good to uh, be able to come along. I'm not too sure about talking about myself, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought the usual purpose of these podcasts was to build audience, so hopefully I won't uh, have too much of a negative effect on that. Um, I'm, I'm a second-generation plumber, so um, my dad was a plumber, um, so I had the uh, joy of being able to uh, get involved in plumbing from around about eight years old. Wow. Um, was the the fashion in those days to go and help dad if you weren't playing footy or cricket. Yeah. So um, so that was all good. So I I, I had a um, an early exposure to what plumbing was about, um, and probably uh, got involved in it pretty early. So uh, after year ten, um, sort of had a discussion with the uh, key people at the local high school, and and we decided that maybe a future a long term future there wasn't going to suit my present educational needs. Yeah. So uh, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, gain an apprenticeship. Um, that was a little more common than it is these days. Um, uh, back then, um, there was probably um, a lot of people around that age entering apprenticeship. These days, uh, it tends to be quite a bit older, and certainly uh, finishing VCE is, is, is certainly um, something that I would uh, recommend anyone uh, doing before they enter an apprenticeship. And you know, we can talk about that a, li- a bit later, but that's probably just a reflection on just how um, varied and, and um, technically advanced the apprenticeships become. But back then, uh, yeah, a year 10 graduate was uh, good fodder for an apprenticeship. Yeah, is it a tech school back then? or It, it was, um, but but we're, we're probably um, – uh, I had uh, the, the most fortunate outcome was that I got an apprenticeship with the gas and fuel. Okay. And um, – those um, sort of opportunities are, are pretty much non-existent today in the equi- you know, equivalent to what they were back then. Uh, if you got a, a, an apprenticeship with the um, Board of Works, the SEC, the Gas and Fuel, um, you were really in a position to write your own ticket. So okay. you were really able to um, determine how far you wanted to go and, and, and what you wanted to do. And if you showed that you had the potential to, to develop, to uh, head in a particular direction, there was plenty of people I found um, very keen to support me. And I, sometimes I wonder whether those kind of support networks are as available today as they were yeah. back then. But it certainly was uh, tech school, uh, RMIT. Mm-hmm. Uh, most gas and fuel apprentices headed off uh, to RMIT. Uh, we started out with our... Uh, two-week uh, induction course out at South Melbourne Meter Shop. Okay. Um, and that, that was fascinating in and of itself because that was stepping back into about 1920. Um, wow. That was, a, that was a, a fairly old establishment out there. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, into the apprenticeship proper at um, RMIT. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I completed my apprenticeship with um, Gas and Fuel and was fortunate enough to um, be exposed to some, some of the best gas fitting training that I've ever seen anywhere in my travels around the world. Um, Melbourne is a gas city. Um, We have a really high uh, take-up of gas uh, per property, per kilometre of main 
yeah, right throughout Victoria, really. Mm-hmm. So um, I was really uh, trained by the the at that stage the uh, the only game in town in terms of learning the the gas side of um, the industry, which I always found and still to this day find fascinating and, and a great um, field of the of the plumbing area. Um, so the beauty about um, working with an organisation like the Gas and Fuel was that. Um, you really didn't have to stay in a particular role for any length of time. Okay. Uh, there was the ability to sort of move into other areas. So uh, we advanced through our technical skills. Uh, we, you know, we obviously uh, had to complete our plumbing apprenticeship, just like any other plumbing apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't too bad on the gas fitting side, I have to say that. <laughs> uh, we did suffer a little bit on some of the other areas. We probably weren't as strong on some of the welding skills and other areas where um, some of the other... Uh, apprenticeships had a had more of an emphasis, but yeah, gas fitting we pretty much were able to nail. And from the apprenticeship, that really just opened up a whole lot of doors for me. Okay. Went into the gas servicing side, uh, went into the commercial gas servicing side. So we got into some of the bigger um, appliances, and that you know that's just a whole other field in and of itself. And it's an area where. Um, yeah, there's just not enough um, availability of uh, training these days. Um, that, that's why I'm really proud to be able to, um, uh, in conjunction with the Master Plumbers, offer the um, uh, Type B and advanced training at, at, at PICAC. But that's an area where um, it'd be great to see a whole lot more take up in terms of um, getting involved in that those more technical aspects of um, gas fitting. But in the day, that gas and fuel did all that okay. and, and trained you through. Yeah. And then from there, um, we got into uh, the opportunity to get into um, supervision, management. Yeah. And this is where I think um, there's a great lesson for everyone in terms of your career. Um, yeah. I, I, I think um, young people today are a lot more um, geared for career change. Mm-hmm. In, in, in my day, that was probably less common. You might have, yeah. you know, progressed up a couple of rungs. But today, it's um, there's a lot of opportunity to develop generic skills to move into a whole lot of different areas and the gas and fuel really promoted that. So I went off to uh, to university and, and did a, uh, a business degree and uh, was fortunate enough to also have the opportunity to do a law degree. So um, all that was provided by my employer and I was encouraged to, okay. to follow that through. Um, and that led me into um, one of my key areas of interest, and that's looking at regulatory policy and, and how we kind of construct uh, regulations to make sure that they do the right thing and we get okay. the best um, policy and, and community outcomes. Yeah. Um, a lot of plumbers probably think regulations are just chairs that are thrown in the way to trip you up. <laughs> and um, and if you make a mistake, you get a fine. It's, uh, it, I'd like to think that a fair bit more thought goes into it than that and that really um, good regulation when administered correctly, um, really does tackle issues where we've got unscrupulous um, providers ripping off the community um, and, we're, and we're not getting the outcomes that um, true plumbers would be committed to providing to ensure uh, community safety and, and things that we take for granted like our water supply, our gas fitting, our sanitary plumbing all operate correctly. And any plumber who's been in the game for three minutes knows that there's a fair bit in getting that right Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think you can um, grab a cordless drill and, you know, a, 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 a folding ladder and, and get out there and, and make a go at plumbing, then yeah. you, you're just really kidding yourself. 
And that's even more so today than ever before. Um, yeah. From my perspective, um, you know, being in the gas fitting, uh, coming from the gas fitting field, we were always taught that um, there's a lot of risk associated with what we do yeah. and we need to get it right. Um, you know, gas fitting is one of those things where a fire or, or something going bang, that's the obvious stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you get the, uh, the ventilation or the fluing wrong, something just reaches out at night and kills you in your bed. Yeah. And um, I know you've been interviewing people about tragedies that have occurred in the past in a direct, uh, directly arising from um, problems with gas fitting installations. Yeah. So, but today that, that's, that applies across things like um, water supply. When I was trained, uh, you couldn't have a, a tank in a, in a, yeah. in a uh, residential premises if there was access to reticulated water in the street. You know, that's how we dealt with that risk. We just removed it. Okay. Now, in, in um, I guess, more enlightened times when we think about, hang on, can we get better use of our water? Can we operate more sustainably? And, and the answer is yes. And plumbing has tremendous uh, a tremendous contribution to make to both water and energy efficiency in the built environment. I mean, probably more than any other um, trade in terms of what we can um, uh, change in terms of the way energy and water is used in a property. When you start factoring those things in, it's great to see those water savings, but it's also we've, got, we've also got to understand that that's increasing the risk. So the minute we start using uh, tank water, the potential for cross connection and backflow is uh, exists. We've got to make sure we know what we're doing, and not and not just take for granted that um, oh yeah yeah water flows downhill, we'll be able to, uh, we'll, we'll keep that pretty straightforward, keep that simple. It's, yeah. it's, it's never that simple in plumbing. And um, one of the greatest risks to, to your customers is you not knowing what you're doing. And you don't learn what you need to do by just, you know, if you want to be a, do- if you think you can be a doctor by looking at a couple of articles on the internet mm-hmm. or, or going down to the jump at the YouTube. Local- so all, everything's yeah. on YouTube. No, that's right. <laughs> if you, yeah, Exactly. If you, if you think you can be a plumber by uh, watching a couple of YouTube clips or, um, you know, if you use the doctor analogy, you know, who would think they'd be a qualified health worker because they went down to the medical centre, led across the counter and asked the person in reception a couple of questions about medical treatment. No one would, no one would make that connection. In plumbing, it seems like if you, you know, go down to the plumbing supplier and have a chat to him and, and work out, what we need to do, you got it sorted. Mm. And, you know, I, I just couldn't caution people more against doing that. couple of reasons. One, that's, there's just so much risk inherent in getting some of this stuff wrong. Even the simplest job can, yeah. uh, can really uh, cause significant risk. The second thing is it's not investing in yourself. Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you be thinking about how you can improve your career trajectory? And there's so much training available now. Um, you know, certainly uh, PICAC likes to see itself offering a, a, a very broad range of training, but, you know, the TAFE colleges, there's a whole lot of avenues. And I, I know we sort of facetiously mentioned YouTube, but there are a lot of great avenues open to um, accessing uh, training that was that's previously never been available. I mean, you've got more information strapped to your hip today then, you know, was, was, you know, in my day, you, you might have had a set of encyclopedias in the TV room. <laughs> I mean, that, that was accessing information when I was going through. Yeah. Um, you, you, you've got 
really an opportunity to to access um, a, a wealth of information. But more importantly, I think there's an opportunity for you to move forward and develop yourself. All these changes that are going on around us in, in the development of the plumbing industry in the main are great. You're not going to stop them. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do you equip yourself to be to be part of that story? And you know, I'm loving the way we're talking about, um, for example, hydrogen being introduced as a yeah. as a as a new green uh, response. And you know, can you imagine, you know, almost like science, it's like we're talking science fiction that um, the excess power that we generate on off our PV cells on our roof could, in some way be transformed into hydrogen that could be pumped into our, our gas reticulation system. You know, yeah. like, if you told me that story five years ago, I thought, Geez, who's, like, who's the nut on the loose here? <laughs> now we're talking about an industry yeah. that currently doesn't exist, that could be how we're going to operate, how we're going to have better uh, environmental outcomes in terms of how we uh, use energy in the home and in our commercial and industrial applications – um, that the plumbing industry is going to be looked at to put its hand up and say, well, hang on, we're going to need you guys in here skilled up working on um, on appliances, working on um, gas use applications that perhaps we've never seen um, previously in this country. Okay. So to be able to do that, yeah, you've got to have a certain dexterity. You've got to have a certain ability. You've got to make a certain commitment to yourself to say, well, yeah, okay, as that, um, rolls out, we're going to, um, you know, I'm going to make sure I've invested in myself. We've got the, tra- I've got the training necessary, and and respond. And there's no reason why a whole industry, as I said, that currently doesn't exist now, won't be something that's just the daily work of plumbers. Okay, so you, you mentioned a lot about uh, training then. So PICAC, uh, the Plumbing Industry Climate Action Centre. Um, is predominantly a, a training uh, facility, and you're the CEO of that facility. Can you tell us a little bit about PICAC and how it all came about? Yeah, definitely, Daniel. The um, where, where um, PICAC really originated um, goes back to really the drought, what, what we now call the Millennium Drought, and that was a um, a significant incident. Um, or occurrence here in Australia where pretty much all of um, mainland uh, Australia in particular, but um, Tasmania as well, was um, in the grip of a drought. There wasn't really one corner of Australia that was um, left out of the um, deteriorating access to reliable water supply. So if you were um, in Melbourne, for example, there was a bit of a sport looking on the front page of the newspapers or you know, even driving down the road, there might be... Um, a bit of a uh, sign up showing what the current water levels were, and we were all yeah. just watching them go down. And they, you know, that they got seriously low. Um, I was with um, state government at the time, and um, we were looking at you know what what are the um, you know what are the doomsday responses? What are we going to do if if a city like Melbourne runs out of water? Yeah, um, because there's there's never been anything. There was no there's no precedent to go by. Um, cities like um, Ballarat, for example, were virtually out of water. Um, you had Lake Windaree. Well, you know, the grass at Lake Windaree, so people would uh, recall the home of the Melbourne Olympics rowing, uh, was, was chest-high grass. You could, you could wander out there to watch, watch out stepping on a, a brown snake out there. Mm. So we were in a really serious 
uh, position water wise. Um, coupled with that, um, the state government was also very interested in how we could make better use of water and energy in the built environment. There was a lot of climate change reports coming out, Stern, Garno, etc. It was a, there was a real focus on, you know, was there a way to build better to to accommodate um, better uh, water and energy use, and and the answer was yes. But what I think people didn't really fully appreciate was that um, the contribution plumbing makes to that equation. So I think everyone got water. You know, we're running out of water. You know, can we store it better? Can we bucket water out of the shower? People could understand the water equation. Yeah. Where I think people didn't necessarily make the connection was energy. So, um, you know, you start thinking about electric hot waters. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, there's, there is a plumbing connection energy. But then if you start looking at the cooling, heating and ventilation of buildings, you're getting into some of the most significant um, energy use within the built environment. And plumbing, once again, front and centre in terms of where, how, those, how that energy is used and what we could do differently to, to work more efficiently. Yeah. But when we started looking at the workforce... No one had been trained in these areas. Okay. They, these areas were just tack-ons. Oh, you know, let's look at um, better energy efficiency. It was sort of like an add-on, you know, have someone come out and do a bit of an energy survey or, you know, some of the, the larger businesses might have looked at efficiencies within their manufacturing cycles or um, um, operations of their facilities, etc. But in the main, um, you know, particularly the mum and dad users, that, that wasn't high on the list. No. But... This this era um, really um, changed that, and so there was a real appetite to look at what was the contribution of, of the built environment, and then realise, well, hey, plumbing is front and centre here. How mm. can we introduce far more sustainable practices into plumbing? And that's where um, organisations like the Master Plumbers, um, AMCA, the AMCA, the NFIA, the National Fire Industry Association, Plumbers Union. Everyone got together and started saying, hey, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Um, we started looking at introducing more training into the apprenticeship, but that was going to take too long because bear in mind, as I said earlier, we've got the water levels um, decreasing as we're watching them, right? So mm. we can't be waiting two and three generations for this uh, skill set to start coming out. So we had to take some pretty significant action. So we had a look around. As I said, I was with government at the time and we, we, um, the industry had come together, had had a look at how training was being delivered in, in overseas and saw a lot of opportunity to start delivering training that accommodated some of those areas that um, were really a, a training gap in the current um, training availability. So we started out a small um, building uh, here in, in Brunswick Four tilt slab, sorry, tilt slab factories, um, where we decided to sort of try and put as much plumbing on display as we possibly could. And if you wander around the buildings here in in Brunswick, you just see plumbing hanging off every um, aspect where we that we could ram it into. Our plant rooms are all glass fronted. You go into the toilets, there's perspex on the wall, so that you can see the plumbing behind the walls. Every opportunity to expose the plumbing, help people understand how it worked within a building, was attempted here at Brunswick. And, and to, to a large extent, we were pretty successful. So in conjunction particularly with the work that the Master Plumbers was doing in, in developing green training, we had a lot of interest and a lot of students going through. 
And you know, Melbourne got to the got to a stage where um, there's something like a twenty percent uptake in in rainwater tanks on the property. So you know, you got one in five properties with a with a rainwater tank. Previously, um, no one would have known how to plumb those up, how to uh, make yeah. sure that they operated safely. Yeah. Installing it's one thing. What, yeah. what about the maintenance? What about coming back later when it's been in, in place for five years? Is it still the safe? Leaves and the leaves, else. the mosquitoes, the dead possum floating in the top. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things that can pose a, a serious risk. Mm. And that's the thing about plumbing, right? And I'm, I know your audience um, appreciates this more than most. A lot of things we can contain with a contract, right? A legal instrument we can say, you know, do this, don't do that. Plumbing has no respect for a contract. If you do the wrong thing on the block, that's not just a dispute between you and your customer. What can then happen is that risk can break outside the block. So, so you know, if we get a situation where water that's polluted, um, adulterated by chemical or pathogen or um, some other risk uh, can get the right circumstances, that can flow back down, enter the water supply and pose a risk to, to, to a primary Someone school else. down the hill. Yeah. Um, and we've already talked about the risks associated with things like gas feeding. But you look, you have a look at the um, the Anoy Gardens in Hong Kong. So one person came home from a hospital suffering from SARS. Yep. We had dry trap throughout that building and a really schmick mechanical services system. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had um, so so SARS um, became a military grade weapon. Yep. So. We had a plumbing system that could distribute it efficiently throughout the building and a mechanical services uh, ventilation system that was only too happy to do it. So high, with, with, great, with military-grade efficiency, SARS was spread through that building with, with, with tragic multiple deaths. Yeah. That, that, would, that disease would not have spread through that building if those traps had not dried. So if the plumbing had been operating correctly, and there's a whole lot of reasons why that happened and... and, and, and things have been done to make sure that won't occur again. But at the end of the day, something as simple as a dry trap contributed to people contracting a disease that they didn't have to. That's yeah. how fundamental plumbing can be. And that's why, um, as we said before, you've really got to understand the risks associated with what you're doing. Yeah. Because even at the base level, you can cause serious harm. Not only that, most of the people that are using you and engaging you for these services are relying on you to protect them, yeah. to ensure that their health and the health of their children and their families are protected by what you're doing. So we felt, um, given the importance of uh, all this, we needed to ensure that um, the industry was being uh trained in the right way, mm-hmm. partnered with those key stakeholders that we mentioned before and developed this school. And it just took off. Yeah. So we started delivering a lot of post-trade courses. There was a lot of interest in what we were doing. Then we got asked to do um, a whole lot of other things, including um, the safety training that we do here. Um, really concerned about the levels and quality of safety training available in the industry. Don't get me wrong. There's some organisations that deliver excellent safety training. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, take it seriously. Make sure that they've um, got um, students who are completing their safety training in the full knowledge of what they need to be qualified. But unfortunately, there's a lot who aren't. And um, we've, we're probably coming through an era where there was a lot of disreputable training occurring, not just in construction, 
but uh, across the board, but that could cause really serious problems within um, safety training. And we saw a lot of examples where some people had uh, laid claim to having uh, received training, but their behaviour, the way they were working, was inconsistent with that. And, okay. and we started to get really concerned. So safety training became a big focus. The union really um, instrumental in, in uh, we were able to draw on their long uh, history and experience in this area and deliver what we still believe is the highest quality training uh, in the safety uh, sphere. Uh, so that became a big part of our uh, delivery remit. And, you know, you think of something like asbestos. To talk to some of the, the the young people entering the trade about asbestos, um, and have them look at you and sort of say, "Oh no, that's that's been sorted out. Oh no, no, that that we don't need to worry about that now. That's been uh, uh, regulations mean you can't um, install asbestos, and not fully comprehend that as plumbers, mm. you're probably one of the key trades, particularly in renovation and rebuild, etc. Let alone yeah, roofing, the, especially the boom in renovation, being uh, uncovering stuff behind tiles and under floors and even in the old pipes that used to be used, it seems to be everywhere. Oh, no, absolutely is. And it'll be – I'll have um, well moved on from uh, my present role before uh, asbestos is out of the the plumbing food chain, Uh, but the thing is awareness. And and why roll the dice? Why risk working on something where – you, you, you've rolled the dice and you're not going to know the result for 30 years. Why, why would anyone do that? Yeah. When there's procedures, if you know what you're doing, and here's the thing, asbestos is, is present, yeah, probably anyone can see the old, um, what we used to call the old fibro cement sheet or the old flues and all that sort of stuff. That's that's easy. The lagging, you know, the white, the white powder and everything coming off... Um, uh, pipe lagging and so on, those sorts of things in plant rooms, etc. I think everyone's everyone understands that. But as you just said, you know, you start peeling back certain uh, floor tiles and certain glues and certain paints. Yeah. All these things are um, um, likely or potentially can contain asbestos, depending on their age and and um, their, you know their history. But the the amount. Required, so you think, oh, how much asbestos is going to be in paint? Oh, don't get hysterical. You know, the tiniest, tiniest um, uh, molecule can cause you a serious issue, and not just that, that your family. You, you know, there's there's real tragedies around um, people who've actually uh, come home from work. People have um, been responsible for washing overalls or, or clothes that have been covered in asbestos, yeah. and they've um, ended up. Uh, contracting mesophilioma or other um, asbestos-related disease. Well, who would want that? Yeah. So this is the so this so sort of getting back to your your main point that that really it all comes back to training. Yeah. It all comes back to us trying to get to people early enough to say, hey, don't take these risks. You get onto a job, you've priced it, you've given the quote. All of a sudden, there's a there's a um, Unintended or previously unknown um, element to that job that's that's come up. Your skill in being able to identify that earlier will mean that you're not going to be misquoting a job or or leaving a consumer exposed to risk. And you know, 
no one wants to be in a position where they're going to do money on a job. You know, you know next thing you, 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 you find yourself involved in behaviour that, quite frankly, is illegal, all because you didn't have the skill, knowledge and experience to identify that risk. So that was a big area for us at the training centre to start focusing on um, trying to help uh, students be developed in their skill set for that area. The next big thing that happened was that um, and it was sort of cruising along in the post-trade space, but then uh, a need to deliver fire training to apprentices came up. Um, there were some issues with the, uh, the, the then state's only deliverer of fire sprinkler training, uh, RMIT, and it, it just, um, for whatever reasons, and they're complex and, and varied, the uh, delivery at RMIT became a bit of an issue. And it looked at one stage that um, training of that nature, you know, again, essential safety training. Um, no community could be without people qualified in this area, um, let alone, you know, I mean, that's, this was uh, sort of six years ago. Today, no one would question it given some of the recent fires that we've had and some of the, the, the really serious issues around cladding and so on and, and a whole industry starting to look at itself about how we can improve outcomes. But, you know, to fall over at the first hurdle where there's no availability of training for apprentices, well, that just, you know, that for our industry that was just totally unacceptable. So we were able to um, work with the state government of the day, uh, the fire industry, RMIT has to be said really supportive of uh, relocating the training here to Brunswick. And here in um, uh, Melbourne, Victoria, we are the only provider of that essential training. So that really then changed our our kind of training delivery because we, I guess we'd focus post-trade, trying to deli- you know, up the skills. Now we were in apprenticeship training and it was a pretty short time after that that then we looked at starting to deliver uh, pre-app training to plumbers mm-hmm. and uh, plumbing apprenticeship training and you know, pretty much through our partnership with the uh, master plumbers, mm-hmm. uh, we deliver that um, plumbing training which has just gone on from strength to strength. Yep. So. You know, there probably wasn't a day that I didn't come into work where someone was talking about us expanding into a new area and taking over a a, a training delivery responsibility. Then following that, um, we we just started to rapidly expand to to respond to that demand. We built a school out in Geelong. Mm -hmm. Um, We uh, had an opportunity to merge with a, a similar industry training operation in Brisbane. So we operate two sites out of Brisbane. And last year we developed, um, we, we opened a new school to deliver fire training in Sydney. Okay. So, so uh, and then following on from that, um, we committed to build a, um, a new school out at Narry Warren. Yep. Um, which is... Uh, Pretty special, I believe, from all everything that I've been reading. is uh, You know, buildings account for 40% of the world's energy consumption and one third of the global greenhouse gas emissions. As climate change continues to have an impact on the planet, the design and engineering of sustainable buildings uh, has become increasingly significant. Um, In particular, net zero energy or NZE uh, buildings are quickly moving into the spotlight 
Um, I believe uh, Australia is set to have its very first NZE education and research facility uh, built by PICAC uh, at Narry Warren, which you just touched on. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? I guess um, Narry Warren just epitomises um, what the, the PICAC vision is all about. And it, it's that it's the next generation. So what, what we've tried to do is always keep our delivery as contemporary as possible, make sure that we're teaching um, the most modern techniques, addressing the most current risks, trying to make sure that we're not just trying to address where our industry is today, but try and have a bit of a look at where it's going to be tomorrow and equip people to um, take up that um, that, that career option, that, that, that challenge. We, ha- we, we don't do it all ourselves, and I'll be the first to say that um, one of the benefits of being chair of the World Plumbing Council and affiliated with a number of international organisations is that I do get to travel around with other key uh, leaders from our um, organisation to have a look at best practice around the world. And I'm going to be uh, perfectly honest with you now, Daniel, and tell you that if we see a good idea, we steal it. Yeah, it's the best way to do it. <laughs> so if someone's come up with something pretty clever, and particularly if they're at a scale that we're not really going to be able to match. So if you look at training and the budgets that um, are allocated to training in someone like somewhere like North America, USA, or in um, Europe, we're, we're never, given our population size, going to be able to approach that. They're in industries that um, are not here in Australia. So... You know, some of the plumbing uh, required for the semiconductor industry, the nuclear industry, the military industry, the um, pharmaceutical industry. Some of this technology that's absolutely essential in those industries doesn't exist here. But what we get is a trickle-down effect. So we're not necessarily equipping guys to work on nuclear reactors, but there's certain techniques um, using robotics, using different welding uh, approaches, using different approaches to safety that we can learn from and we can incorporate um, here in Australia. And then there is um, some of the um, advances that we've been able to make here in Australia. So when we look at water efficiency and some of the things that we've had to develop in order to um, live here on the the planet's driest um, continent, we uh, or driest inhabited, continent at least before people tell me about Antarctica. Um, <laughs> they have plumbing there too. Yeah, <laughs> they, well indeed, they do. I was talk, talking to someone the other day at the uh, Apprentice Skills Competition and they actually, there's a couple of guys there had actually been down there to work and it was interesting to talk to them uh, to see, you know, something you never really consider is in a lot of places you look around, you wouldn't even consider the work that goes on behind the scenes. And um, interestingly enough, we'll be talking to one of those guys for an upcoming edition of the Australian Plumbing Magazine. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Well, that'll be fantastic. And you, you make a, such a great point that um, it's a bit like, you know, the healthy human body. You see the health, you know, you see an athlete and you admire their prowess and, and, and what they can do, but there's a whole lot of systems operating internally that must be um, at, at, at optimum to perform, to, for that athlete to, to perform. And when we think about our homes, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it just all, works. <laughs> yeah. It all just gets thrown together. Yeah. Um, 
No, I was just reflecting on some of the stuff I eat. I go, I probably need to. I probably need to reconsider that. You walk into the walk into the kitchen. You flick the tap. Water comes out. That's all you need to know. And you can put a glass under it, and you don't have to think twice. And yeah. and in in some ways, that's the signature of good plumbing. The, the my test was always that my mum could point to any name in the phone book, ring them up, and have them come out and do the plumbing. And not worry about the standard of that work or anything. She's not an expert. She wouldn't be a person who'd understand uh, what the uh, the plumbing services uh, needed to be. But if we uh, we would have it right, if she doesn't have to worry about that, and whoever came out could deliver the services she needed, and that and I don't think we're there. But I think in the main, um, you know, Australian plumbing standards are, are certainly well on the way to um, achieving that. And as I say, it's it's then back to a lot of the participants within the industry just to make sure that they're current and they're working on the things that they need to and they know what they're doing. So, yeah, so um, as I said, we um, we moved around a lot of um, different industries in um, different parts of the world, looked how training was being delivered, looked at ourselves in terms of our water efficiency and, and the things that we do really well and tried to develop um, a design that brought all that together with an eye to the future. Because yeah. I think that's probably one of the things that um, we struggle the most with. And, and, and it's a tale of woe for any industry that's um, been born, uh, shone for a while, and then petered out. It hasn't looked at how it needs to change into the future. And I think one of the um, great strengths of um, PICAC in terms of bringing uh, the key industry stakeholders together, is we've got an eye on that future. So we're looking to say, okay, how do we need to influence governments? Because governments don't understand where our industry needs to go. Governments will respond to what we're identifying as the issues. Governments don't understand what training we need. The um, the, the the star pupil who's going to be a, a great uh, apprenticeship um applicant of tomorrow sitting in high school, he doesn't know or she doesn't know what the industry needs. Um, employers working focused down on today, they don't necessarily know where this industry is going to head tomorrow. But coming together, working together, identifying where the issues are, identifying where the gaps are, and then trying to move forward with um, a collective impression about what the future is going to be gives us the best chance to train for that. And that's what we've tried to create out at Nary Warren. So, yeah, it, it, it is the first um, zero net energy design uh, training facility. It's certainly um, the first one um, we've, we've had involved for training the plumbing industry. And what that means is that um, we've been able to uh, use um, a geothermal system combined with uh, extensive uh, PV uh, uh, panels to have a building that basically generates all its own power, all its own um, heating and cooling and mechanical energy from um, mechanical services. And the great thing about that is not that that necessarily just reduces operating costs, which is kind of nice. Um, yeah. It's a significant upfront investment. And we've actually... Um, not even being content to use the current designs. We've worked with um, universities, um, Monash University, 
uh, Melbourne University and Deakin University to actually work on various aspects of the design out there to make sure that it's actually very future focused. And what we're trying to do is then we'll now expose um, our students to this latest technology. And we've used a lot of cutaways, we've used a lot of demonstration within the building to show and, and, and aid training. And we believe we'll be exposing students to the most contemporary plumbing available anywhere in Australia. We've got building management systems out there that'll be monitoring efficiency and we ought to read what we're doing with our water usage, what our um, energy usage is. But more than that, we've got um, smart bathroom technology that's never seen before, and um, uh, we've incorporated things like vacuum toilet technology, just to prove that shit can flow uphill. So (laughs) we'll we'll be um, putting everything um, that we can into the mix in terms of the the plumbing of tomorrow to have it on display, but probably the thing that's never been done anywhere else in the world, that we one of the challenges we all um, grappled with as we started to think about the design for this building was, yeah, we can take a photo of today and we can produce something that will represent um, an evolution into tomorrow. But what about the day after? What about the day after that? How do we maintain a contemporary edge? Because that's been the thing that's challenged every trainer um, and and uh, institute in terms of how to deliver training to an industry that's on a bit of an exponential curve in terms of development. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we thought, we thought, well, what's the gateway to innovation? And we've got product certification. So a product doesn't come into the marketplace unless it's been certified. Yeah. Prior to being certified, it's got to be tested. So... We were fortunate enough to convince IATMO, um, uh, they run an Australian um, product certification and standards organisation, one of the biggest in the world, and we'd had a long relationship with them. We'd looked at what they were doing in the US, in India, China, Indonesia, a lot of areas where they'd been active. And we sat down and had a discussion with them about what if we incorporated a product certification laboratory testing facility into a training facility. Okay. So that what and and the and when we worked with our architects on this, they immediately became excited and said, "Well, we we could actually design a building that facilitated this." So when you go out to Nary Warren and, and um, I hope that. Um, if, if there is anyone listening, that they'll accept an invitation to uh, come out and have a look at, at the site. Even the people that can train or are looking for a uh, an apprenticeship in, in the coming months, uh, make sure you check it out online and uh, you could very well be sitting and enjoying that um, facility. So when you look at, at, the, at the facility, we've got basically one third dedicated to new product, new technology, innovation, whatever's coming in and going to influence the plumbing industry. Then we've got um, a central area, which is auditorium, open space, where um, things can be displayed, um, forums can take place, knowledge exchanges can occur. And I'm not talking about students. I'm talking about anyone interested to come into forums to discuss where um, 
various aspects of, of the industry developments headed, straight out of the, um, the production line, if you like, straight out of the oven, so to speak. Yeah. And then you move into to the final um, part of the building, which is, of course, the training facility. So we go immediately from a product that didn't exist in the Australian market this morning to being on display uh, by lunchtime and then introduced into the training um, delivery curriculum by that afternoon. That's how responsive we see the environment being um, created in Narry Warren. And from there, we'll disseminate out to all our training facilities. And it's our vision, it's our hope that we'll keep our delivery as contemporary as possible so that we're equipping the men and women who participate in our industry to be able to move forward with development and and deliver the plumbing services of tomorrow. And and we don't find ourselves in this um, catch-up position where we're just not able to respond to the to the new technologies or new um, processes it's i've been out to the facility and it is very very impressive with all as you mentioned before with the some of the exposed things um like going to the bathroom and seeing all the pipe work through the uh the wall it's it's fascinating for someone who hasn't got a, a fantastic grasp on plumbing to see how it all works even uh the day i went out there it was it was a pretty wet day so all of the uh, storm water from the roof coming through uh, clear pipes that run inside the building. It was just interesting to see the volume of water that actually comes off a roof when it rains is, uh, is, is pretty interesting to see. So I recommend if anyone does uh, have an interest in plumbing and w- wants to see how it all works, get out there when it's complete and you'll be able to see firsthand. In addition to your responsibilities at PICAC and from what you've just explained, it seems like a pretty uh, significant role on its own. Um, you're also chair of the World Plumbing Council. Can you tell us a little bit about about the uh, what the council does and how you came to be part of that? I think um, the, the great um, joy about being involved with um, a part of the industry that has a very external focus um, is that you, you can step back and try and take a global perspective on issues. Um, and being uh, ever since I've been at, at PICAC, um, the board and others have encouraged me to look at you know what's happening in the broader picture so that we can understand what we how we need to be responding in Australia. And the thing is, and, and our industry has a long tradition of this, it's a two-way street. We can go to Germany and we can go to um, uh, northern uh, Amer- into the USA, North America. We can look at where the highest standards of plumbing are being um, exhibited, and we can soak all that up and try and bring as much of that back to to Australia as we can. And and we do. Um, just re- just recently, I, I didn't go this year, but I've. I've been numerous times before, you know, we try and send some people along to Ish to have a look at all the emerging products, you know, seven massive display sheds of plumbing products. I mean, you just wouldn't believe there was that many toilet seats in the world, but <laughs> the um, opportunity to go and look at what's emerging has been a real privilege of being involved with this job. But the other thing is about what can we give back? So we look at um, plumbing around the world and pretty quickly understand things like um, there are a lot of people who die in the world, particularly children, 
because they don't have access to reliable fresh drinking water. They don't, and if they do have rely, if they do have access to a form of drinking water, it's almost inevitably adulterated by poor sanitation. So, you think about simple things that we can do. We've, we've been talking this morning about um, some of the um, opportunities in the you know the, the sophisticated high tech end, mm-hmm. but there's still significant portions of the world that. Can, can't put that glass under a tap yeah. and just have a drink. There's significant parts of the world where the big task for the day is to set out in some direction to some point to get, if you're lucky, a bucket under a community um, tap or, or um, well, mm-hmm. maybe um, nothing more than a muddy creek or, or um, indentation in the in the side of the road. Yeah. But certainly not access to water as we would understand it. And then in terms of safe disposal of sanitation, just completely unknown. I mean, and, and it's not just um, we, we focus on, you know, we as I'm describing this, a lot of people will be thinking about, oh, yeah, no, Africa, yeah, no, some of those countries, it's pretty bad. But, I mean, India, you know, it's still uh, 40% of the population, um, you know, op- doing open defecation, you know, just, yeah. you know, the um, uh, need to deal and respond to development of um, safe sanitation systems never um, example better than what's happening in India today where yeah. the Prime Minister has said if we're going to really be a serious um, you know, power within the world, economic influence, then you know, we've really, maybe we've got to start installing a few toilets in homes. Mm-hmm. So you've got that occurring all around the world, you've got um, places in Australia where you get out into remote communities, there are people here who perhaps are not getting access to plumbing services, who are therefore not getting access to um, uh, reliable fresh water supply or safe sanitation. And unfortunately, um, in our remote Indigenous communities, this is just too often the case. So it's not just Africa, India, and the and the kind of countries you might think of. It's also um, places like um, remote community, remote Indigenous community Australia. So through the World Plumbing Council, there's a commitment to try and um, drive improvement through plumbing of those standards of um, sanitation and access to fresh water supply by exchanging ideas and, and okay. working together. Um, but also, um, even amongst uh, you know the so- so-called um, you know highly sophisticated plumbing system countries, we can all learn from each other. So um, there's there's certain um, product innovations that might occur in one part of the world that can bring a lot of um, benefit to another part of the world. So the World Plumbing Council is about trying to uh, equip and exchange those um, ideas. The other thing that uh, the Plumbing Council is very keen on is trying to create opportunities for development. So uh, it offers a number of scholarships where people can make application from anywhere in the world and we um, try and um, fund a development opportunity and, and hopefully the, the concept is that if we get someone coming in and maybe training in the US or training in Australia, that then they can go back 
to to their country and, and maybe train up a few others. And we're looking at a, um, a a means by which we're committed to to developing the the levels of um, plumbing standards around the world. So it's um, I'm going to assume it's just representatives of plumbing uh, businesses and communities from all around the world. Do you, um, do you meet often? I can imagine it'd be a pretty bit uh, logistically impossible to do it frequently, but uh, in the world of uh, Skype and everything else, there'd be um, committee meetings all the time? Yeah, I, I kind of want to calm down committee meetings all the time. <laughs> I, I, it's, um, there's just so much um, international plumbing you can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you make a really great point um, that because of things like um, – the, the way that uh, connectedness has improved around the world, um, that things like having to jump on a plane, um, as perhaps we did in the past, has has diminished a lot, and that has opened up um, access to the World Plumbing Council. So um, this year alone, we've had members from Nigeria and Rwanda enjoy, uh, join up the World Plumbing Council. Okay. And, look, it's just so satisfying to see um, countries that, um, probably don't have a lot of the things that we really take for granted, make real um, significant advances by simply a few of us getting together and providing a few things like sample standards and sample codes and a few um, different tools, etc. I yeah. mean, we we hosted a um, we hosted a uh, scholarship winner from outer Mongolia. Now I know you think I'm making that up, but that is true. This this um, guy came in from outer outer Mongolia. He'd never seen welding before. He'd wow. never seen brazing, any any sort of pipe joining of that nature. So he came to PICAC. He was here a couple of weeks. We moved him around a few places, went out to a few sites. He went back to Mongolia and has established a skills competition in that country. So wow. that, it's just how this sort of thing can, can snowball. So World Plumbing Day, they have a skills competition. And he was able to bring back some of the um, skills that he'd developed, you know, yes, at a very base level, but at least that, in a small way, that industry has moved forward due to some of the activities that um, we've been able to expose people to through the activ- through the World Plumbing Council. That's fantastic. It's the age-old thing of give a man a fish and you feed him for the day, teach him how to get it, and you'll uh, feed him for a lifetime. Uh, the plumbing industry recently celebrated World Plumbing Day on um, March 11, happens every year, uh, and, and an international event initiated by the World Plumbing Council as a means of highlighting the important role plumbing plays in health, safety and sustainability of our community. Another initiative started by the World Plumbing Council is the World Plumbing Conference, and it makes its way to Melbourne later this year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, two things um, you've touched on there. Let, let, let's just start with World Plumbing Day. That that's um, a really uh, fantastic event. It, it it's just an opportunity to do two things. One is draw attention to the plight of people who just don't have access to fresh water and sanitation, like I was talking about before. And I think um, that that's not fully understood. I mean, I think a lot of people understand drought stricken. Uh, landscapes and then there's no water. But I, I think what people don't understand is the broader ramifications of things like um, if you've got to tie up a lot of your household economic 
activity in gathering water, you're not doing a whole lot of other things. So you're probably not going to school. Yeah. You're probably not doing things that could earn you um, uh, um, economic um, resource to do things like buy food and, and do other things that we would yeah. take for granted because your time's taken up on gathering water. Sure. So that's even, you know, in a non-drought-stricken um, country, you know, getting back to your example of the of the water coming out of the tap and the glass going underneath, that convenience, if you, if you had to do other things to gather that water, it means you're not doing things that might be quite fundamental to, to you surviving on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. When you get on to sanitation, I think people can make that connection about what would happen if, you know, the sanitation wasn't adequately addressed and you could get sick and, and, and you know, younger children getting ex- exposed to diseases that cause diarrhoea, et cetera. That's really, really serious. Yeah. But people don't make that, you know, there's probably another concentric circle out with things like, okay, if there's not adequate toilet facilities at the schools, then in certain societies, once girls get to 12, 13, they're not going to school. Yeah. So you start thinking about, well, hang on, that's got a knock-on effect onto education. There's a whole mm. sector of that community that's not going to be able to um, uh, complete school to any um, what we would call satisfactory level. It just continues to uh, exacerbate that poverty cycle, um, that cycle of um, you know potential disease and, and um, tragically death. So it's it's. It's not just, um, yeah, not being able to access water. There's a whole complex array of um, factors that um, diminish, um, you know, uh, lifespan and and quality of life Mm -hmm. that are associated with the things that plumbers do on a day-to-day basis. And that's the second aspect of World Plumbing Council activity on World Plumbing Day, and that's to recognise what plumbers do. And I, 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 I still... Marvel, um, uh, I guess that's a polite way of saying deal with my frustration about the number of people who would not really understand what plumbing is, mm-hmm. circa 2019, and what's involved in, in terms of the knowledge and, um, uh, I guess, abilities of those who are delivering those plumbing services and World Plumbing Day is a day where we can mark that, where you can you kind of sort of say, well, you know, I mean, I'm not, I sort of exaggerate to make the point, but you know, you could look at a plumber and say, hey, thanks for saving my life, thanks, yep. yeah, thanks a lot for that. I've got a community I can live in mm-hmm. where my children can sleep at night. The um, they're not, you know, the house isn't going to burn down, yep. house isn't going to blow up. The, there's not going to be some biohazard within the house that is going to, you know, slowly subject us to um, disease. Not going to get as sick as often. You're not going to have to go down to the um, corner, down to the, what, what, you know, we used to call them milk bars, but go down to the local sort of pump and get yourself some water. Yeah. All this, all this amenity in a in a in an ever increasing environment of risk is delivered through the the work and and um, competence of plumbers. And World Plumbing Day is just an opportunity to say, hey, yeah, guys, thanks. 
everyone involved in this space, yeah, we, we probably take it for, for granted. We, may, we either make jokes about how much you earn or what sort of environment you're working in, and, yeah, we cop all that. We don't, we don't mind, but, you know, I think I'm also pretty pleased to take a bit of pride in, in what we actually do and pretty pleased to be involved in an industry As like ours. The other, <laughs> um, the other um, thing that you pointed out was the, uh, the conference, and it's actually a triennial conference. It only happens every three years, and I'm really delighted that um, you know uh, six years ago Melbourne won the bid. It's a bit of an Olympic <laughs> Olympic style. And the um, winner is <laughs> yeah, the winner is Melbourne. And um, so that that's now come around. Uh, I don't know where that six years has gone, but September this year we'll be running the conference here. Um, we've got delegates coming from all over the world, and um, this, this really is a once in a lifetime opportunity to come together with some of the absolute thought leaders of our industry. And the the theme of the pro, uh, of the conference, even though it's going to be wrapped around the four pillars of plumbing, and the World Plumbing Council has identified that there are four key components to a successful plumbing industry, and their participation which is the training requirements um, to work in the industry, practices, which is the standards and accountability in day-to-day work in the industry, products, which pretty obvious, which are the features and qualities and materials that are necessary for, the, uh, for appropriate products to enter our industry, and protection, which is the means of minimising risk, uh, whether that be to consumers or practitioners. Um, when failure or, or things go wrong. So around those four pillars of plumbing, the conference is looking at what's the future? Where, where's the industry headed? And, but not just in a narrow context of the industry. I mean, we think about things like the effect of, um, you know, the internet and IT and, and the way that we're communicating and exchanging information like we talked about earlier. The fact that you can have, oh, I don't know, a podcast – all these sort of things. If I was trying to explain this to my dad, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't have a hope. So, the the rate of change, the pace of change, we we will be nuts if we don't sit back and sort of say, well, what you know, what's coming up in the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty five? Um, because if we're not equipping for that now, we're you know broadly as a community, we're going to get left behind, and specifically as an industry, we're going to find that we're um, we've become redundant and superseded. So, trying to have a look at what the future um, is in a broad context and then bring that down to the four pillars of plumbing is the real focus of this conference. And I, I just encourage anyone who believes they've got an interest in the future of the industry that um, they try and get along to the conference if they can. It's, all go- it's also going to incorporate our um, annual um, plumbing awards night, which has just become an absolute sensational event each year. Um, here in Melbourne uh, for the plumbing industry where we recognise those champions, those uh, people who've made significant uh, contributions to to the industry, uh, have achieved standards of excellence that um, we want to encourage and it's just an evening where we're able to um, have a look at uh, what's been going on in the industry and and offer due credit to those that have um, made significant contributions. So that will form part of the conference, but this time it'll have a real international flavour. So I think it's going to be something not to miss. Um, There's plenty of information 
uh, online about the conference. If you search uh, WPC 2019, there'll be uh, uh, plenty of information about how to get involved in that conference. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to going and uh, attending the awards night as well. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I wish you all the best with uh, everything in the future for Pike Acre and the World Plumbing Council. But uh, for now, Shane, thanks for joining us. Daniel, it's been fantastic. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Master Plumbers Radio. Check out the Master Plumbers website at plumber.com.au or hit us up on email at podcast at plumber.com.au. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram.